Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Corkin Entertainment Show. Um, it's great to be here today um, in this new setting. Actually, it's not really a new setting. It's just a new uh, new background piece. Uh, big shout out to uh, River Signs in Douglastown. Uh, thank you guys for putting together this very, very uh, cool, um, cool uh, backdrop. Uh, so definitely be sure to, uh, you know, show them some support, any of your uh, sign needs or your uh, any, anything at all, really. They're, they're the best in town for that. Um, yeah, we got a great show for you here today. Um, our guest will be none other than the jack of all trades when it comes to theater uh, around here in Marishi, uh Chris Matheson, um, who, of course, is the director at the Mamrishi Valley High School Drama Club and also with CM Productions uh, pretty well. He's the reason like I started this whole thing <laughs> really uh, without his influence and his uh, and his uh, dedication to what he's done. And um, yeah, really just I owe it all to him. So, um, you know, it, it was an honor to have him on here today. And uh, so we will talk a little bit about um, his theater experience, uh, his um, his upcoming projects. And uh, we will also be talking about uh, whether or not we think three hours is too long for a movie or a play. And we'll also be giving our thoughts on the whole uh, Alec Baldwin uh, rust situation. And now for those of you who watched, I think, believe it was episode three, we were supposed to be discussing this with uh, Oland uh, Dupuy um, in episode four, but unfortunately due to scheduling conflicts, he got delayed. So he'll be on at a later, in a later episode. So uh, just stay tuned for that. And we figured uh, we might as well just uh, talk about this topic because who knows by the time we get to that, we might know a little more about what's going on with that whole situation. I mean, it's, it's a tragic, tragic, um, tragic uh, situation all around. And uh, yeah, so who knows? It's hard to say what's going to happen, but uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that at length, whether or not we think they should continue production or shouldn't. I think there's good arguments for, uh, for, for both sides. So we'll definitely be giving our thoughts on that. And uh, yeah, so uh, let's just roll, roll the intro and get the show on the road. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Corkin Entertainment Show. I'm your host again. I'm not going to bother reintroducing myself because I've already done that the first five episodes. Uh, so here we are. We have our guest today, the man, the myth, the legend. I've mentioned him a few times on this podcast before, probably the man who I give credit to for Corkin Entertainment for, you know, giving me a chance all those years ago when I was just a dumb little grade nine kid coming into the drama club. Uh, Mr. Chris Matheson. Chris Matheson, how are you today? Good. I, I don't know. I might be the villain of the Mayor Machine being given credit for uh, the creation of the monster that is Frankie Corcoran. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, there it's a good thing. It, it's a good or bad thing. That's totally up to everyone's uh, interpretation. So, <laughs> so yeah, so Chris Matheson, he runs the Miramichi Valley High School Drama Club, and he also runs uh, what is known as CM Productions. For those of you uh, local community theater goers around here would probably um, 
uh, have seen or heard of uh, some of the shows that we've done. And uh, I've actually acted in, I think, all the CM productions, right? I think pretty well all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So so, uh, so tell me, uh, what uh, what prompted you to really start? So, you know, you're running, of course, the Marishi Valley High School Drama Club, and then there's CM Productions. What prompted you to want to run two troops at the same time? What was the... Uh, what was the the uh, the ambition there? Well, um, I just like doing theater. I should I guess I should say I love doing theater. Love it. <laughs> and, um, I, I was very busy, obviously, with the drama club. Um, you know, at school, you know, practicing after school, putting on you know a couple shows a year. Uh, but as time was going on, I kind of realized that there were people were graduating. Um, from the program, graduating high school. And, you know, you kind of realize that sometimes they're still around, but there's, there's no theater for them to do after high school. Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of opportunities for them to continue. And um, I guess it kind of started because it, in the summer, I had done a couple of summer shows uh, with the drama club, and then it kind of morphed into, well, could I bring some alumni in um, so they could continue to do theater, um, which, uh, as I said, they didn't have a lot of opportunity to do. And then that kind of morphed again into, well, wouldn't it be a great opportunity to have some of my um, high school students, my more advanced high school students, have the opportunity to work on a show uh, or shows with alumni and the learning opportunities that that might potentially create um, and also give them more opportunities to act as well for the students that were looking uh, for more opportunities. So uh, it just kind of happened out of a desire to do more theater and to provide um, some of my talented alumni, uh, including yourself, um, opportunity to do more theater. No, well, there absolutely, and I mean, like you know, thank you for uh, keeping me around. That's for sure. For those of you watching the video version, there's uh, the very first CM production. It was uh, Rumors. It's up at the top, uh, the top right, right there. So, yeah, uh, there we go. <laughs> for the ones watching the audio version they're like i have no idea what the hell they're talking about <laughs> but uh yeah since rumors i mean like you know i'm not sure for those of you listening if 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 you had seen rumors or heard of it um when you compare like the uh, subject matter of of like you know a cm production and a uh, high school drama club there's you, you know like you couldn't do a show like rumors where there's like you know all kinds of you know f-bombs uh uh you know sexual references uh, this and that is there always does it always open up a fear because you're like okay so everyone's always used to watching like our high school drama club shows where they're a little more like you know pg rated as to when you go to the cm productions and we have a lot of the same audience is there always a bit of a fear like i don't know how they're going to react to this after seeing i'd be like you know how do you go from like a show let's say mary poppins to rumors you know what i mean like that's quite the that's quite the jump so are you always worried sometimes you're like i wonder how so and so is going to react if they see that big a change of a show no, not really. Um, and I think that's the other reason why CM Productions existed uh, or exists, I should say, um, to draw that sort of line where, um, you know, because I'm dealing with more mature actors in terms of age, uh, that we're doing things that are a little bit more mature. I don't think offensive in any way, just more mature um, that might involve more, you know, adult subject matter uh, and themes and sometimes language. But um, so that's the main reason for the for the division that uh, it's sort of it's sort of like this is the advanced uh, MVHS drama club because I think mm. the two very much go hand in hand uh, and work together and complement each other and uh, support each other. 
but um, yeah, CM Productions does sometimes, not all the time, uh, and not necessarily on purpose, but just, uh, you know, scripts that maybe because of um, um, language or, or um, serious subject matter um, you wouldn't tackle in high school, um, you can. And I think, you know, we're established now that, that audiences uh, kind of know that. So uh, if they come see a CM production, they know it's not the Invigious Drama Club. They know it's something mm. separate. But uh, to be honest, like in general, our audience here in Miramichi, uh, they, I think they know who I am. So they know the difference. Um, yeah. I think when people come to see um, a show that I do, whether it's a high school show or a CM production show, um, you know, they know they're in good hands, I guess. They, they know that, um, you know, the material is going to be um, something they're going to enjoy, that something is going to be um, age appropriate and whatnot. And I'm always very careful to, uh, in the advertising, uh, if I feel that, you know, a show uh, is a little too much mature for, you know, kids that, you know, you tell people this is not for children, right? And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's not just because of, you know, language, but it, it may be because just because it, it deals with, when I say adult themes, a lot of these plays, it's just that they are adult characters dealing with things that adults deal with that little kids might not be able to comprehend or understand. So And talking how people talk in real life too, you know, exactly. that's yeah, just exactly. a harsh reality. <laughs> yeah, it is the harsh reality. I mean, I don't shy away from material uh, that way. I mean, I certainly wouldn't do something if I thought it was out and out, you know, uh, offensive, or if I thought that, um, I guess the big thing is um, you always have to know your audience, right? Uh, absolutely whether, whether yeah. you're talking about plays or you're a graphic designer or whatever you, you have to know who your target audience is um in terms of what you're providing so you know i've been around long enough that i i kind of know um what people in miramichi like to see what they're comfortable seeing um and i guess to some degree how far you can kind of push that envelope in terms of the material you can present um but i i've never had any issues i mean i find the um the community that we have here, the theater community we have here in terms of audiences is very supportive uh, of, uh, of what we do. And I think sometimes we don't give, um, we don't give um, our community enough credit for its level of intelligence. No, uh, really? You know, you say, oh, well, you know, Mary Shears wouldn't want to see that. They wouldn't get that. You'd be surprised. I mean, um, you know, we have people, lots of people living here in Miramichi that have, have been all over the world and seen theater elsewhere and are very appreciative um, of the, the quality and the level of theater that we, that we bring to Mary Machine. No, absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, it's always great to bring more of that too. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, you compare to cities, like, you know, uh, you know, like there's, you know, TMB and there's all this stuff like that, but, but there's not really a whole lot in Mary Machine. So, so the, so the fact that we're able to keep theater going here in Mary Machine, that's really something, you know? Do you know what? I, 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 I don't like that statement and not to nothing against you saying it, but oh, no. <laughs> there's, there's not enough. I mean, there's not a lot. There's not enough. There can always be more. No, exactly. Yeah. But if you really look at it in, in a, if it wasn't a COVID year, a normal year, there is a lot of theater going on in Miramichi. No, that's uh, true. Exactly. Maybe, maybe that was kind of a bit of a, you, <laughs> consider, you know, we have uh, two local high schools um, you know, Miramichi Valley and the other one, which I won't name, um, that, uh, James you know, regular, M. regular James M. Hill in an irregular year, uh, put on several shows and, um, 
then you have CM Productions and you have obviously your uh, corporate mm. entertainment yep. is in the future when things allow or allow it. Uh, Double L Productions uh, was one. Yeah. You know, uh, Bull Bears Island before the pandemic was doing at least one production, fundraising production a year. Um, there's a number of other organizations like the uh, um, the, Her- the uh, Heritage, Heritage Players. players. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Sutton Valley, or not Sutton Valley Players. Um, what's the group that Jansen's oh. grandfather's with? The Sutton. Anyway, there's, oh, another, there's another group up there that sometimes does shows. There's all kinds of uh, um, local church groups that from time to time put on uh, Christmas themed shows or show I've seen, you know, ads for shows at other times of years for fundraisers, things like that. So there, there is theater here. It, you, oh, definitely. Yeah, theater, absolutely. But in a normal year, uh, there is, but as I say, there's always, always room for more, but uh, there is, if people are interested in theater, I think Miramichi uh, does a fairly good job uh, when you compare it probably to a lot of other places in New Brunswick that probably don't. No, exactly. No. So I guess, uh, uh, you know, when you really think about it, we do have a uh, we, we do have a lot of theater. Just just, you know, find a way to bring more uh, into it. You know what I mean? Like that's the that's the the uh, uh, ticket. Um, so we mentioned before you. So you've done musicals and you've done straight plays. I have never been a musical guy and <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sing or, or anything right now to prove to you guys. You, how. One. you, you were in one musical. I snuck you into one there. Or snuck me into one. Yeah. That was more so just like a background. I'm like, okay, I don't have any solo. So I'll, you, I'll were, you were in it. I was in it. Oh, well there. Fair enough. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a credit. That's a credit. But you didn't hear me. <laughs> no, that's that might've been a good thing. I don't know. But yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we won't find out. I know the answer to that. Nobody else wants to know. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, obviously a musical, uh, you know, that's a whole, you know, process, uh, in and of itself. And like, you know, getting the rights to the songs and stuff like that. When you compare that production or those types of uh, productions as opposed to a straight play. Mm-hmm. How are they different? How are they similar? What's more challenging? And uh, which do you prefer if you have a preference or? Well, um, to start with, a play is a play. Mm, absolutely. Whether it's a musical or a, a drama or a comedy or whatever, a play is a play. Um, there's a story that has to be told um, and an audience is ultimately gonna come see that, that story. And then it's all about, it's like building a house. You know, the, 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 when the house is done, it's like the play is ready to perform. So there's all these things that you need um, to build that house. Just getting there, you know? Yeah, to get there. And, um, you know, every play is different that way in terms of what a play de- demands of you in terms of the resources you have to put into it, the expertise you have to bring to it, uh, and so on. So in some ways they're the same, I mean, um, you know, there's a, there's a script to follow. You you bring actors together. There's costumes. There's sets. I mean, props, things like that. That's pretty standard. But I mean, obviously, the the big difference is musicals involve singing, whereas oh, other plays, as we say, straight plays, uh, don't. And uh, singing so, and dancing too. Like that's quite yeah, the... <laughs> and, you know, choreography and all. So I mean, I I was kind of uh, taught uh, through the straight play avenue. And uh, I learned how to do all that. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't have an ego, but I think I've gotten pretty good at it. Um, and then not too many years back, I, I jumped into the, the musical world because it was really the only thing that I hadn't done. And uh, I wanted to try it to see if I could. 
Um, but it is, it's very challenging because um, there's so many different elements that have to come together beyond a straight play. You have all, you have all the elements of a straight play. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. all still there. So if you know how to do that, you bring all of that to the musical. So you got your script and everything. Yeah, you, you know. got the script and the, you know, all that stuff, um, you know, blocking and stage directions and working with the actors and developing character and putting blocking and, you know, everything else. I mean, that's all pretty standard. But as you say, you get into, okay, well, these people have to be able to sing. You have to work with those people to get the best voice out of them, the best, you know. Uh, and then there's, you know, choreography there's uh, there's dancing and you know things like that that have to happen so there's all of that on top of it and then there's the tech side of that um that goes with that there's the, the fact mics, that, you, know, you know, know i have all these i have these 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 all these music cues that have to be timed exactly right they've all you know are they going to be mic'd or aren't they going to be mic well that's a whole system that has to be set up and orchestrated and you know are the mics working and what happens when they don't and all these different there's all that whole technical side of it so there's so many more layers to a musical um, that um, make it um, not any more challenging. A straight play is challenging too. I guess there's just, like I say, there's more pieces that have to come together to make it work. And you know yourself with theater, the more elements you have to bring together, especially because it's live, the greater the risk that something can go wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Things that have to happen uh, just right. I mean, if it's just two actors talking to each other on stage, then it's all on them. And if anything goes wrong, it's just because, you know, they flubbed a line or forgot a cue or whatever. But when you start adding in all these other things, I mean, dancing and singing and that, that, that music has to start just there. Um, I remember when we did Mary Poppins and just, the music cues are just oh and the lights the and everything you know stops. and i'm just like oh my goodness like there there's there must be like i forget now there must be like 200 music cues here that you have to be right on top of and any panic attacks like oh my god starts, sometimes the music doesn't start when the actor starts singing it starts at on a certain note at a certain point and you have to be really on top of that um but at the end of the day you know you just do it and you bring together like any play you if you don't have the expertise yourself, you assemble a team of people that will bring that expertise that will allow that to happen. But certainly a musical on a lot of levels is, 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 uh, is more challenging. Um, but like any play, you know, every play is the same when it, when it comes together and you perform it, it, uh, uh, it's very rewarding when it, when it comes across on stage to the audience and the audience appreciates what you're doing and they enjoy what you're doing. It's a very gratifying feeling. No, definitely. Absolutely. And then I'm mean, like, you know, even just the whole feeling of once you walk into the lobby and everyone's just coming at you. Oh, my God. Awesome job. Awesome job. That's that's like, you know, that's everything. You know what I mean? Like you work so hard to, you know, keep them all entertained and put on a good show. And then that's how, you know, it all paid off, you know. Well, and, yeah, there's, yeah. there's two sides to theater, right? I mean, one side of it is a very selfish side, which is we this is for me <laughs> um, do it because we want that gratification of the process, which is very gratifying, but the end result the, the being able to say, hey, I helped make this happen or I made this happen or whatever. I mean, um, there's there's great gratification. And then the other side of it is when you see that people have gotten something from it, um, you know, uh, they've been touched by it or amused by it or in some way just they've had an experience. 
They've come to see live theater and they've had an experience. And that's what live theater is supposed to do. It's supposed to give you as an audience member an experience of some kind. And when you, when you see that, um, yeah, it's very rewarding to know that on some level that you, you've touched people somehow, whether it's, you know, you made them happy, made them sad, or just helped them forget about the outside world for an hour and a half, <laughs> two hours, whatever it is. No, absolutely. Is there ever one play in particular or uh, one moment where the play was done and you kind of just look back and you're like, holy, or, 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 or like, even if you're like, you know, there's nobody in the theater and it wasn't a show night or anything like you, you kind of look back at the set and you're kind of like, holy, holy shit. Like I did that. Like that was all me. Like, you know I mean? Like, were there ever any, like uh, any moments like that where it kind of like, oh my God, like that, that's all me. You know what I mean? Like, Yes, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I, see, I, I'm one of these types that always expects, like, I hope for the best, but I always kind of go in, not expecting the worst, but um, I guess I, I've never, I don't think I've ever, um, right before a show open, thought to myself, yeah, this is gold. This is a classic. Like, I've never said this is crap or anything like that, but you just, you hope for the best, but I mean, you, you realize that you sometimes you become so close to something and so attached to something that you start to think, well, is this actually good? I think it is, but that's just me. There's not a hundred of me sitting out there watching it and will they feel the same way? So there's a little bit of nervousness of are people going to appreciate what we've done here and are they going to enjoy it? And um, so, yeah, when it's over and, and you, you're standing there and you, and, and you see that reaction and you realize that, yeah, it was good. Then that goes away. And then it's kind of like, yeah, that was good. You know, I did that. Yeah. But, but yeah. I, many times I, I've, I've gone out like say closing night after everybody's gone and, and I'm just getting ready to lock up or whatever. And I go up to the stage and I look around, and I'm like, I can't believe I did this. And I don't mean me personally. I'm not taking full credit, but the I mean, crew. When I think of me, I think of everybody I brought together because I guess as a director, uh, in a sense, you're the cook, right? So, you know, everybody makes it successful, but it, it's, they only made it successful because you were able to bring that group, that talent together in one place, guide them through it, get them to that point um, to put the show on. And then, so you, you do have to sort of take credit for the whole show, not like, hey, I did this on my own, but in the sense that, wow, I can't believe I made that. I always say I made this happen, meaning that I was able to bring all this stuff together, these people together. And yeah, many times I've looked at it and I've been, wow, I, I can't believe I get to do this. No, yeah. absolutely. It's just one of those like <laughs> you're pinching yourself. Like, did I do this show? Did I do that? Did I build that set? Did I do, yes. cast him? Like, you know, exactly. Did I did I make that happen? Like, um, I, I look at you right now where you're at and, you know, we go back what eight years or something like that i think almost nine i think now eh? years and you were in grade nine and and i think wow you know like you take chances on people sometimes or you you, you see something in people or you know or sometimes you don't you know but um had i made one small different decision somewhere along the way we might not be sitting here right now this podcast might might just be you know the 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 cm production show you know what i mean like yeah, you no, it's, it's very bizarre it, it's uh, but i think that it, that's that goes for me anyway outside the theater to my profession as a teacher um where 
sometimes as teachers, we don't forget that the smallest thing that we do, the smallest thing that we could say to a student could have a huge impact on the rest of their lives. One decision, one day, me going into my classroom and having one bad day, even though I teach 100 kids, 99 kids might go out and go on their life as usual, but maybe one kid is affected by that and it changes the rest of their day, the rest of their week, the rest of their life. I don't know, you know, and I can't dwell on that because you'd start thinking back on every kid you ever got. But, you know, it'd be a two I hour do, episode I, here. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think of you and I think of that, that kind of um, unaware, oblivious little grade nine kid who uh, didn't really know what was going on or quite how he fit into it. What planet and, I was on. What planet he was on and really wanted to be there. And, uh, you know, if I, if, if I had said after that first show, oh, this kid, this kid's got his head up his butt. He, you know, he, he's dropping his pants in the toilet. He's doing this. He's doing that. He doesn't know. <laughs> True story, folks. True uh, story. <laughs> you want me to tell that story? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. A <laughs> Gibbs just listening like, wait, this, what? I think to me, you know, I mean, you're one of my successes, Frankie. So I, I'll take that. Oh, thank you. Um, because in, in life as a teacher, um, kids are with us for a short time. They go on their way. And sometimes you never know. You never hear tell them. You don't know how they turned out or what they're doing with their lives or anything. And so you don't know if you've kind of made any kind of difference. Right. It's one of those professions where every kid doesn't come up to you at the end and say, thank you for what you did for me. You know, like it just is kind of like you're part of their life for a small window and then and then they're gone. So, you know, I, I obviously I. I'm a part of your life even now, all these years later. So, I mean, I know what you're up to and obviously I'm very proud of you and, and your accomplishments, but. Oh, thank you. Um, I did not pay him to say that guys. I did oh, not pay him to say that. It's, it's true. And I'm saying it now because I don't often get a chance to say it in front of a, 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 this audience of audience, yeah. people, five people, a million people, whoever's watching <laughs> this, Frankie's mother, whatever. Uh, no, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. But anyway, like back in grade nine. So we're doing, uh, go back and time, tell a story. We're doing Peter Pan um, in, geez, what year would that have been? 2013. 13. So yeah, that's how I knew it was nine years uh, that I've been doing this. Cause 2020. So anyway, now. doing Peter Pan in the fall uh, of that year. And uh, obviously it was a big cast. 30 some people I think were in it. Cause I mean, there was all these pirates and the lost children. And then and even people backstage with costumes. Backstage, like it was huge. Yeah, it was just a lot of people. And um, that was a good example of a show where, I, where I'm, as I'm coming into this, I'm like, oh, sometimes you're like, okay, what did I get myself into? Well, there's, there's so many people. There's so well, especially because it's Peter I, Pan. You, know, you want to do that justice, come, you, know? you know? Is this all going to come together? And then you have like a dress rehearsal where you're just like, it's terrible. And you're just like, I remember Lloyd Cameron and I talking about that, like bad dress rehearsals where you're just like, Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> it always turns out. But anyway, so I think, I don't know if it was dress rehearsal day. Dress or, rehearsal. Yeah. Dress rehearsal day. And I think we broke for supper or something and, or in the afternoon. Anyway, I'm in the theater sitting on the stage, standing in the front of the stage by myself, going through my notes or something and going through, Holy shit. I made this. <laughs> there's a side door and it's open. And I happen to see Frankie kind of file past in, in kind of look in the theater very awkwardly as he moves, I think. And I'm like, Frankie. So I kind of looked out, I kind of yelled out, Frankie, is everything okay? And he kind of comes in, he's standing up at the side of the stage and he's got, he doesn't have his costume on anymore, but he's holding the pants for his costume. He's kind of khaki colored pirate pants because he was one of Captain Hook's uh, pirates. I'll have to pull up a picture for the video version here. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a name? Did, you, did your pirate Keko. 
You, yeah, you were Kecko. Yeah, that's right, Kecko. <laughs> yeah, Kecko went to Greco, yeah. So anyway, um, I'm like, is everything okay? And, and he's looking at these pants and I'm looking at him and he's like, yeah, I, uh, I was changing in the, in the, the bathroom because there was staff washing across the hall. I was changing the bathroom and I accidentally dropped my pants in the toilet. And I said, well, is there anything in the toilet? He said, no, it was flushed. I said, well, okay, well, take them home, get your mother to wash them. I and think I remember more clearly it was, uh, I dropped my pants in the toilet. <laughs> really? I remember that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, probably in the moment. But anyway, so, you know, you're, it's little moments like that where, you're, you know, at the t in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, do I need this kid around? Like, he's, he's got his head up his butt here, you know. But you were so enthusiastic. And, uh, you know, and so excited to be there that, um, you know. Gib enjoyed that for those of you listening. I had to keep you around and, you know, it just kind of went from there. But that's really kind of how your career took off, dropping your pants in the toilet. Uh, but if I had been like, no, this guy, I don't need this guy around, you know, then that would have that would have been it because there were no op other opportunities for someone like you at that point to do anything else. No, well, there, like that right there. I mean, like, you know, that's, that's, that's a story there for, you know, for some of you viewers out there who are trying to find yourself out and, you know, like not really sure is something for me, is it not? Just know that anything's possible. If you, if you're, if your heart's in it and you're enthusiastic, you know, like that's, that's really, you know, that's quite the story. <laughs> well, to put that in, into my uh, memoir, I'll have to try. And, to you know, as a director, I've always been about taking chances. And that's uh, sometimes that's on scripts, but sometimes it's on people too. So, I mean, it's just sometimes you have a feeling or whatever, you just go with it and uh, you trust your instincts and hopefully it turns out all right. And thus far in my career, far, uh, most he was John Favreau. I was Robert Downey Jr. That's how that turned out. Nobody wanted go. to hire him. There you go. And, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm not as, uh, uh, rich as him, but you know, anyway, I hope, that, uh, I hope that came back around to whatever the original question was. Yeah. I can't even remember uh, what we were on now, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think we're still on the right track. This was <laughs> lots of viewers are finding out a lot of stuff about myself and you know, that's, well, I guess it, that's something. Yeah, this isn't a phone in show. Cause I, I get a lot of, I get a lot more, but <laughs> that that'll be a three hour special that will be released yeah. uh, sometime within the, the year. Um, so if you were, I mean, like, you know, obviously, you know, me coming in as a first time director, with these uh, one acts, hopefully coming sometime in the summer. Um, it, if there's someone watching this who is aspiring to be a director, what would you give them as like a for, as like a piece of advice? Like you know, like hey, you're directing a show for the first time. This is my advice to you. What would you give? Ah, uh, well, having done so many shows over the years, like your resume is like. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I uh... I have done a lot of shows and uh, yeah. You see his basement. <laughs> his basement's got all the cast photos of every show. It's like yeah, my, he needs uh, a new house now. Yeah. My, uh, my, my wall of fame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess I'll, I, since you swore, I'll, 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 I'll let one little bomb go here and hopefully I won't get any trouble, but uh, it's a quote I got from Ilkay Silk and she said it about herself, but I think it applies to me too. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, I'm a bit of a theater whore. So um, yeah. Uh, anyway, for a first time director, um, it can be very intimidating the first time um, because you have no experience. I mean, maybe you watch somebody do it a little bit, but that's different than actually doing it yourself. Mm. Um, so I guess for first time director, 
the big thing, a couple of big things. One is your choice of material. Um, make sure you pick something that speaks to you, right? Um, you want to pick something that, you know, in some way, I don't know, not necessarily that you relate to it because you had personal experiences or whatever, but that might be the case. Or it might be just that, um, you know, the material is the type of humor that you like or uh, the type of drama that you like or the type of music that you like. But yeah, pick something you like uh, to start with. I mean, I know sometimes people will purposely pick challenging, oh, this will be very challenging, so I'm gonna try this. But there has to be something, um, a connection to the material where you look at it and say, yes, I like this. Yes, I think I can do something with this. Yes, I want to devote the next month or two months or three months or four months of my life to. Um, it, there's got to be something that hooks you. So if you're reading a script and it's not doing anything for you, it's not making connections, it's not um, conjuring up any images of you in your head, because oftentimes I'll read a script and right away I can start to see what the set looks like and I can see you know, who might be like, if I, if I know who I had drawn for actors, I, I sometimes I can see who so-and-so would be good. I can hear their voice saying the lines, things Read like their that. lines in, the, so in their voice. There's so many different ways a script can talk to you, uh, or it might be just, you know, yeah, there's a, emotionally that does something to me that I'd like an audience to get that reaction to it as well. So I, I want to work on that. So the choice of material is, is key. Um, I guess the other thing is um, um, comes. To, I guess casting is probably an important thing too. Um, it's kind of uh, going in with an open mind and uh, uh, really listening to actors and, and watching actors when they're auditioning. Um, and um, and like I say, sometimes taking chances. Sometimes it's the sure thing. It's certain roles that oh, it's got to be that person. And sometimes it's just, you know what, there's just, I don't know what it is. I can't put it into words or something about that person's audition that I'm just, I'm going to take a chance. I think they can do it. And so taking chances. Uh, and even in my theater arts classes and stuff, when I talk about introducing them to theater, I said a big part of theater on stage is taking chances because frankly, setting, even stepping foot on a stage is taking a chance. So you mm, just definitely. build on that, right? Trying to portray a character, acting with other people, singing a song, whatever. It's all dancing as part of a group. It's all taking chances on stage. So as a director, we give that advice to other people, but I think we have to do it ourselves too. We have to be willing to, to take chances and, and experiment uh, to find what works. And then the third thing would be... Um, to listen to your actors once you've got everybody assembled and not just your actors if you've got set designers or got if you've got people making your costumes um you know whatever it's listening to everybody and their ideas um because to me theater is a very collaborative thing uh it's a group process and i i feel like when the dust settles and the show is done everybody involved should feel the pride of saying i was part of making that happen um, I mean, as a director, you have to have an overall vision. I mean, it is your show. You, I mean, unless you've been hired, brought in by some group or somebody else to do it, then it's kind of their thing. But, but if, be open to criticisms or... It starts with you, right? Yeah. And obviously with me, it does. And with you, it would with, with Pork and Entertainment. So if it starts with you, meaning I'm going to do a play and then you go from there, um, then it's, it's your vision and you have to stick to that. 
Yeah. Because you have to know what you want. It can't just be a ship bobbing in the water with no rudder, no direction. But to 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 know to for everybody to know that, hey, you know what? If I have an idea, hey, Madison, I have an idea here. What about this? And a lot nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, I'm like, okay, let's try it. Just see what happens. You know what I mean? Like everybody kind of knows my philosophy is if I like it, I'll say keep it. And if not, then I'll just say, no, I don't think. And you know what? People respect that because more often than not, frankly, I will take it because I, I find if you get the right group of people and they're invested in the show and they really want to make the show happen, then usually their ideas are pretty good, right? So you can take them. And sometimes it's like they might have an idea and I'm like, okay, that's great. Now, what if we took that and did this and it becomes two ideas? Collaborative, that, you know? You know, and... Um, Sometimes the best moments um, will come out of those discussions. Um, so I think if you do it right, actors feel comfortable sharing, the tech people, the costume people feel comfortable sharing, but at the end of the day, they know that it's your show overall, and they know that maybe you're not gonna take the suggestion, but they at least know that you respect them enough uh, to listen to it and consider it. So. No, exactly. I mean, I'm sure uh, <laughs> this would be another big, long book if I went through some of the lines where we're like, hey, it's OK if I say this. And you're just like, no, you're not saying that. <laughs> I'm sure that would be just a huge we could be here for hours talking about some of those. But, well, uh, but the danger of that, and I find that particularly happens in comedies. And I do. Oh, absolutely. Is Odd couple, people, you know, people get, people get going in the moment and something's funny and they're like, oh, if I did this, it would be funnier. And sometimes it is. But sometimes because, again, umbrella, I have to oversee the big picture. I you know, it's my job to make sure that we stay true to the material and we stay true to the intention of the author and so on. And we even stay true to the style of comedy that there, comedy can go in different directions. Comedy exists at different levels and we have to be consistent with the brand of comedy that we're selling. You know, if it's not slapstick, stick, if it's more of a highbrow intelligent comedy, you can't be doing pratfalls on stage because that doesn't, you know, the guy can't drop his drawers for a laugh because no, this is more intelligent. No, exactly. Um, so yeah. You have to know sometimes like a, an actor will say that and I'll be like, no, no, that would be pushing it too far. Right. That yeah, exactly. Be, that would be losing sight of who your character is and staying true to your character. So, you, you know, and that's the job of a director is sometimes to, you know, loosen the slack on an actor to explore direction, but sometimes to tighten the rope and say, no, no, come back a little bit. You're going a little too far in that direction. No, definitely. And that's a really good way. I mean, like, you know, especially for comedy too. I'm, I'm like, you know, like the audience is laughing, laughing their heads off, laughing their heads off. You're like, okay, okay. They're going to love this. Uh, you know, if I say this, it's like, well, no, no, no. You got to stay true to your character, stay true to the story and don't you're, you're John, the character, uh, you know what I mean? And you're going, uh, to, to straying too far away from that. And you're whoever the actor's name is Frankie, yeah. let's say Frankie, your character's name is John, you know, that that's not something John would say. That's something Frankie would say. You know what I mean? So there's always that, that, uh, you don't want to diminish the laugh by taking that one moment and then doing all these other things to it that weren't originally there. Because if that moment wasn't funny enough on its own, the writer, if he's good, would have added things to it to make it funnier. Do you know what I mean? No, so, exactly. All so about the delivery too. And yeah, sometimes you tweak it and you find something that, that elevates it, but 
you know, like you say, you got to respect the character and you got to respect the material. No, absolutely. And that's a, a great way of putting it. So um, what's next for you theater wise? I mean, like, you know, of course, I mean, like, you know, I know what's next for you theater wise, because I mean, like, you know, we talk all the time, but <laughs> for for any viewers uh, watching, like, you know, I mean, like, you know, obviously COVID has had a huge effect on like, you know, the MVHS drama club, CM productions, couple of uh, uh, productions were pushed, delay, you know, all over the place because of all this. So what, where can people expect to, to uh, see you next or hear from you next or? Well, as of right now, the only thing I have in the works is with CM Productions. Uh, we are working on um, uh, a comedy, a Neil Simon comedy uh, called The Star Spangled Girl, uh, which stars uh, Taylor Blackmore as the Star Spangled Girl. Uh, and uh, the other two characters, um, basically it's, it's, I don't want to say it's like the Big Bang Theory, but that's where people, what people are going to immediately say, but it's basically uh, two buddies who live in an apartment and they're kind of like sort of post-university, early 20s, and they write this magazine where they're basically critical of the government and how government runs and, you know, kind of that, that age where people think they know how the world works and stuff. And uh, then this beautiful girl moves in across the hall and, you know, one falls in love, you know, it's just that sort of one guy's love mad triangle. With her, but she ends up in love with the other guy. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, anyway, there are those elements. And uh, of course, uh, Taylor Blackmore plays the girl and the two uh, buddies that, uh, that live next door are played by AJ Turcott and an unknown, uh, uh, I believe his name is Frankie Corcoran. So I never uh, heard of that guy. Never heard of him. What the hell is he? Uh, so anyway, <laughs> it's, it's exciting. We've been working on it since the fall because originally we were going to do it in the fall. And then with COVID changes, we've moved to February. But then, of course, you know, with more COVID issues, uh, we've moved it to the spring. I'm not going to tie it down to a date right now, uh, just to say that it's coming this spring to a theater near you, I hope. Um, <laughs> it will be coming at some point. It's it could just, be Cineplex. It could be MB. I don't know where it's going to play. <laughs> it's, uh, it's when things open up and it's safe to do it and audiences will be comfortable uh, coming to see it. And uh, so that's that's on the horizon. And uh, all three of those people I've named, including yourself, are all uh, Miramichi Valley High School alumni, which is what makes these shows special is because... Um, Feels like we never left. Yeah, you guys are still able to to work in something you enjoy doing, even though you're not in high school anymore. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the advanced the advanced the level advanced for, level. Yeah, <laughs> beyond that, so there's that. I, I hoped I would like to get something, uh, even something small, even some one acts uh, going for the drama club, if things open up a little bit more. Right now, they're still talking social distancing and masks and that sort of thing, so that makes it difficult, but. Um, there is talk uh, of there will be some kind of drama festival in May, as there usually is, whether it's virtual or in person or there's different options being explored. It'd be nice to have something to present as part of that. But right now, things aren't quite loosened up enough yet to to make that happen. So I'd like to get something on for the end of the year, at least to kind of get things back up and running so that we start kind of building capacity again with the, with the, the drama club, because we really haven't been able to do anything for the last year and a half uh, because of COVID restrictions. So. No. Wow. And it's crazy that, uh, that it's been that long since we've really had any like, you know, magical live theater experience. I, I, I mean, we had a little bit this past summer with laughter on the 23rd floor, but I mean, like once we're full, full force, that's going to be, that's going to be, you know, something to look forward to for sure. 
Before we continue, we would like to give a shout out to Take a Toll with Taylor, led by Taylor Marchbank on behalf of the Mamrishi Youth House. Taylor and her team are looking to raise money for an event called Coldest Night of the Year that will be taking place on February 26, 2022. This event will be done in an attempt to raise money for families living in poverty in the Mamrishi community. Go to cnoy.org to donate. Any kind of donation will be greatly appreciated and must be done before February 26. So go to cnoy.org to help support a great cause. So yeah, so with that, uh, so with that down another way, we'll move on to our first main topic, uh, which will be: is three hours too long for a movie or a play? And so, I mean, like you know, of course, with you having done many plays and like you know, many different lengths, some short, some long. Um, it was recently announced for those of you who aren't aware that uh, the Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson is going to be three hours long. I think exactly what did I mark? I marked it down here. Two hours and 55 minutes. So basically, yeah, we might as well uh, just say three hours. So we're seeing a little bit of a mixed um, mixed uh, opinions on this whole topic where some people say it's too long. Some people say it's not long enough. Um What's your opinion on, I mean, like, you know, of course, as I mentioned, haven't done so many plays long, short, what would be like your limit to, to how long a show should be, or like, do some shows deserve to be a certain length or what's your take on that? Well, there's no, uh, there's no set in stone rules about how long a play or a movie can be. But I think at the end of the day, the big consideration is um, depending on the subject matter and so on. um, And depending on, Well, I guess that, I mean, it, it all comes down to is what, how long is your audience comfortable sitting, focusing on a piece of work? No, that's right. I've done, I've, def, I've definitely done plays that are over the two hour mark, uh, musicals in particular, but straight plays as well that have pushed two and a half hours, that type of thing. Um, again, I mean, you don't go into it thinking, oh my God, this is too long. People aren't going to be able to sit through yeah, this. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're trying to put on a, a quality piece of theater. And I'm sure people who make movies are trying to make a quality film. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, if it's good enough and if it's entertaining enough, then it shouldn't be a problem um, because people should say, they should come out saying, oh, was that that long? It didn't feel like it. Or I would have sat there for another hour. You know, if a, if a movie's good enough or if a play is good enough, um, then the length really shouldn't matter. Um, the downside is if you don't have comfortable seats, uh, that might be an issue (laughs) that that can somehow uh, sometimes cause audiences to, to get a little restless and and be looking at their watches. But, um, no, I think if, if the material is good, um, then the length doesn't really matter. I mean, it helps to have an intermission. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think with movies, you want to talk about specifically about films now, I guess, being too long. Um, you know, the only time I can ever remember being in a movie and I thought this movie is too long was the, the last uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, but that one's so good though. I mean, I never watched that in theaters. You watched that in theaters, right? Did you? Yeah, and, and it wasn't, I guess that it wasn't good, but it was, I, it seemed like it was over about three times and it kept going. There would be a blackout <laughs> and you thought it was over and then it would come back up and there'd be another scene. So, um, but you know, in the old days they used to, they had, they had intermissions in big movies which I don't think they do now, even the Lord of Rings, you just sit through the whole thing, which can be a long time to sit there. And unfortunately what happens is people end up getting up during the movie and going to use the bathroom or going wherever. But in the old days, you go back to the 1950s and before that, uh, even I guess into the 60s, some movies, 
um, that push the three hour limit or beyond that in some cases, uh, they would have intermissions. You know, there would be um, intermission music that would play while you know, where you were taking your break and things like that. And then you can, of course, back then they didn't want you eating in the theater. So you had to, they, the intermissions were a little bit longer, but um, yeah, so that was kind of built in. But yeah, I think if your product is good, then the length really shouldn't matter. And if you're worried about people's bums getting sore in seats, then throw an intermission in the middle there to heck throw two intermissions. I mean, some play, some <laughs> plays, if you look at them, longer plays are set up where they do have multiple intermissions uh, in the play. So, I mean, the only problem is the more breaks you give an audience, the more chance that you kind of have a harder time getting them back into the show once you do come back again. So. No, absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, um, I mentioned this, I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, Jansen and I were talking about uh, when he was on how we went and saw, um, actually, you and I have seen quite a few Broadway shows. I mean, like, you know, but the two in particular that had a, that had a long uh, run time was To Kill a Mockingbird and Oklahoma. I think they had about roughly the same amount. If you had to compare the runtime of those two where I mean, like, you know, they're, I mean, like the other ones we saw, they were only about an hour, 30 minutes, something like that. I think To Kill a Mockingbird, I think, well, I think it was close to three hours. Oklahoma, I think was three hours, if I remember uh, correctly. If you had to compare those two shows, it, like, uh, is there stuff that you tweak? Like, okay, Oklahoma, I take all this part out or To Kill a Mockingbird, I take this out and add this in, or how would you? Well, th those are two good examples to compare since we have that shared experience, but mm. um, with To Kill a Mockingbird, um, every aspect of it was so meticulously executed. Oh, absolutely. Um, it was so skillfully done in terms of the direction, the acting, everything about it. Um, and uh, the uh, actor who played Atticus Finch. Jeff Daniels. Yep. Jeff Daniels. Um, I kind of went into it going, geez, Jeff Daniels, because I mean, I, I haven't really seen that many Jeff Daniels movies. And the one that always pops to mind is Dumb and Dumber. Dumb, that's literally the first so, thing I I'm thought thinking, of. <laughs> okay, so the guy from Dumb and Dumber is going to play Atticus Finch. And, you know, I've seen the Gregory Peck movie, obviously. And Gregory Peck was a fantastic Those actor. are huge shoes to fill, too. I, I mean, I'm I mean, like, you know, film, yeah. film and theater, it's two different uh, entities, yeah. I guess you could say. Gregory but still. Peck could read the phone book to you and it would be mesmerizing. But um, <laughs> So I went into that not knowing what to expect, but it was it was entrancing. Like you just couldn't look away from it. Every moment I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat, leaning forward, uh, watching it because it was just so amazing. And uh, it didn't feel that long at all. Now, Oklahoma, on the other Ooh, hand, yeah. it was sort of a modern interpretation of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Um, I don't want to get into trouble and say too much, but I... I didn't like it. I hated it. Well, no, me and Jansen did talk a little bit about this on the first episode. He gave his honest opinion. <laughs> so I, feel I, free to. I just, I didn't like the feel, the tone of it, the interpretation it of it. Awesome. Everything about it did not ring true for me. I understood what they were trying to do. I understood, you know, let's, let's take a fresh take on this for a, a new audience, a new generation of people coming to see Oklahoma. Let's dispel that sort of old West mythology of the old west and the romanticized romanticizing of the old west and things like that i get that but you know i know that's not what rogers and hammerstein intended it was escapist entertainment which theater often is um so it felt every second of its length <laughs> for me 
Um, and that's like anything. That's no different than sitting through a, a movie or a TV show. I know last night I, I was going through uh, um, Tubi. I don't know if anyone watches Tubi. It's a, a free version of Netflix. But they have a lot of old movies and stuff on there. And I put oh. one on and after five minutes. I was like, I can't get into this movie. Uh, so I turned it off, you know. Um, so, I mean, people are like that. There's sometimes if you can't get hooked and get into something right away, it's just, and with that show, I just immediately, as soon as I walked in and sat down, the whole feel of it before they even started, I remember sitting down, looking around going, Oh, like I, <laughs> what did I get myself into? <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I've made, a, I have made a terrible mistake. And, uh, and that's and a show we were almost late for too. Cause yeah, the traffic in New York was race, race to get to that show. And uh, anyway, it was what it was, but it, it felt every bit the, the length to me because I just couldn't get into it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't control that because, you know, you and I could go see the same play and it could be five hours long and you could be like, that is the most life changing thing I've ever seen. And I could be sitting there going, I don't get it. I don't know. Yeah, no, say. definitely. And that's honestly probably the best part about this stuff. It, it's all subjective too. Exactly. That so brings yeah. up two different sides yeah. of the, yeah. yeah. but, um, I thought, I mean, like, you know, you also, uh, you know, a show like come from away, which was about an hour and 30, 40 minutes, something like that, that had no intermission. And part of me was like, I would have watched that for the, the length of Oklahoma with no intermission. I would, I would watch that show for three hours. No, uh, no break. You know what I mean? Like that was, that's a different well, it's a tough, that's a, it's a tough choice sometimes because I've, I've been to shows where there've been intermissions and I've been to shows where there haven't shorter shows, longer shows. Um, but you know, making that choice because with intermission, it's a break yeah. in, the, in the narrative, in the action, in the energy of the play. It's like a blackout stuff's happening. And then poof, everything stops with a blackout. Yeah, exactly. And in a play, if, if the blackout happens, then you go to another scene. Well, that other scene better start out really strong to keep you going. But when it's a blackout and then the lights come up and it's like, okay, go pee now or whatever. Um, it just takes you back into reality. It takes you out of that world that the, that the play is creating. And you're like, it's like a tire deflating. Now, <laughs> exactly. If the, play, if the play is really good, if you're enjoying it, then it's okay because you can't wait to come back and see the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. Not, then it's just time for you to reflect on the fact that you wish it was over and you didn't have to come back and see the rest of it. <laughs> you're definitely not that's a great enjoy, way to put it. You're definitely not going to enjoy the rest of it if that's the case. So it's a tough call. And then there's the financial aspects of, of intermissions where it's like, okay, there's a canteen set up in the lobby, the sales from that help pay for the show and things like that, where there's a need to have it. Right. So, uh, but yeah, with come from away, it didn't need a, you didn't need an intermission. It just, if the time, that time flew by. Oh my God. I want it to be longer. I would, I honestly would have yeah. watched that for three hours if it had no intermission. Like, honestly, I really would have. Characters were so true. They were so real. Um, the songs, um, and I think because it was set in, 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 uh, in a recent time period connected to an event that we all, um, knew about related to, I guess, on some level, most of us anyway, um, that 
and that it was Canadian. I think part of it too was it was set in Canada, right? Just so it hit home for us. It made me homesick watching I mean, it. In New York, watching a play that's set in Newfoundland, right? So I mean, you're kind of like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. And they, you know, there they just referenced Tim Hortons and whatever, but Chappers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or going to the Legion or whatever. So it was just very kind of real in a way. And the actors were just so skillful uh, in in making it real um, through the just being true to the characters and their performances that. Uh, it flew by. Oh, so, absolutely. And movies can be the same way if they they can just, you know, they just transport you if they're really good. So no, well, they're absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, if uh, what the, the run times were of the other, because uh, uh, the other three shows you and I saw on our previous trip was play that goes wrong, Anastasia and Aladdin. I can't remember what the wrong, I don't think they were too long. They had uh, intermissions, but I mean like play that goes wrong. I'd watch that all day. Yeah, I would that watch that all day. Probably, that would have been under two hours, a little bit under two. The two musicals you mentioned, they would have been over two hours for sure. Most musicals are. No, definitely. I so mean, there's would... very few movies and plays that deserve to be that long. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> all of Martin Scorsese's movies, they're all like, you know, <laughs> if you binged all those, you'd be there for days. But, but I mean, if, if something's going to be that long, then there should be a reason it's that long. Exactly. Yeah. Right, because you legitimately need three hours to let that story evolve and unfold um, in a way that doesn't seem rushed. Yeah, exactly. But also doesn't, but also doesn't seem like you're taking your good old time uh, in <laughs> getting there. But then, of course, I've seen movies where I'm like, okay, you could have took that half hour out of the movie and you wouldn't have known the difference. No, exactly. Right. For a movie, yeah. Movie like uh, Avengers Endgame. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people say that was way too long. It was like three hours on on the dot. I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. I wish it was longer because that that was wrapping up 18 movies. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's one of those ones where I'm like, yep, yeah, no, the runtime was completely justified in that. But um, so, I mean, like, you know, looking at, at the uh, new Batman movie, I mean, like, you know, obviously we don't really know what to expect with this one, I mean, like, you know, of course, uh, Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves, uh, Andy Serkis, I think we're in for a good time. But I mean, like, you know, if if you're looking at this a month before it's released, are you thinking it's too long or is it kind of like, no, nah, we'll see once the movie comes out, we'll see how it turns out or. Well, I think when you're, you know, the, the it can be a good problem or a bad problem, but I think with with that particular movie and I don't know that much about the movie or because I don't follow those uh, superhero films. Um, but, um, I think when you're bringing a new actor in to it's play, risky to, to play a, a known character like Batman who has been played by all these other actors, you've got a, you're almost starting your own story. So unfortunately, especially with superhero movies, you get bogged down because all of a sudden you've got a, there's all this exposition where you've got to set up your world because this is the first time we're seeing your take on Batman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you've got to you've got to tell us who this Batman is, who this Bruce Wayne is, what this Gotham City looks like, what the, who this Commissioner Gordon is, you know, Robin or whoever else is in it. You know, you've got to set up these characters and and let them. You can't kind of jump in too quick because you got to let them sink in a little bit for the audience first to kind of because a lot of people are going in knowing about the other movies and the other Batman and well, okay, you know, you're. You know, you're not Michael Keaton or you're not Val Kilmer or you're not George Clooney or you're not um, <laughs> Christian you know, Bale or Christian Ben Affleck Bale or Ben Affleck or Adam West or whatever. Oh, but, Adam West. Oh, my God. Can't forget Adam West. <laughs> absolutely can't forget. Adam you cannot West. forget him. He's up there. Um, but um, 
anyway, yeah, so you've got to do that. And, and I think in particular superhero movies, uh, we struggle with that because there's a mythology around these characters where there's a backstory and you've got to tell that story. You know, how did Superman come to Earth? How did he become Superman? And, yeah. uh, you know, and by the way, you know, for you superhero fans out there, if you want to see, in my opinion, the best movie that has ever tackled that issue of we have to establish this superhero in his origins and tell that story and then bring him into present day, then you've got to see Richard Donner's original Superman movie uh, with Christopher Reeve because- 1978, he, is that? 1978, uh, I believe yeah. he's right, yeah, 78. Um, he was masterful in the way in which he set up, I think, and I mean, I, I'm biased because I grew up in that era, but uh, in the way that he established Krypton and Superman coming to Earth and him growing up and accepting his responsibilities and grappling with, with great power comes great responsibility and, and all that sort of stuff. And just with such reverence for the material and, uh, you know, yeah, that to me set a standard, which all these other movies that have come after, they have, to live that. Up to, they have to live up to Richard Donner's bar and try to surpass that. And they owe a debt to him for even creating a superhero movie that could do that. No, right. exactly. And I mean, like, you know, for, for the uh, Batman, I mean, like, you know, Matt Reeves, you know, great director and everything. Robert Pattinson, I, I think it is a great choice. Um, I'm not ready to say it's too long or too short or not long. I'm not ready to say that. I think once I see the movie, then it'll be easier to, uh, I mean, like I'm, I'm willing to sit in that theater for as long as, you know, as Matt Reeves wants us to, you know what I mean? But I mean, it's definitely brought up a lot of questioning where people are wondering, Oh, this is too long. So, but I mean, you know, just depends on, you know, if there's a lot of filler, you know, that really, you know, filler and, uh, Oh, you know, they could have trimmed this or, this and that so i mean like you know as i said they're all subjective but i mean uh we'll leave it up to you guys uh you know feel free to you know instagram or uh, facebook do you think three hours is too long for a movie or a play uh you know are you looking forward to the batman now that you know what the wrong time is definitely be sure to let us know and uh we'll move on to our second and final main topic which is uh should the movie Rust, the Alec Baldwin, the suspended uh, Alec Baldwin film Rust, should it continue production and will it continue production? So um, for those of you who have been living under a rock these past few months in the movie uh, news world, um, of course, there was a there was an incident on the set of the movie Rust starring uh, Alec Baldwin. Uh, I can't remember who else was in it, where um, he was given a gun that was proclaimed to be a cold gun, which means it's a it's a safe weapon. And um, he pulled the trigger. It killed the, um, I think it was the assistant director or the director. I can't remember uh, one of them, but he uh, shot her. It, it killed her immediately. And then it shot another person. And I believe he recovered. Yeah, he did recover. And um, so now as it currently stands, um, the film is suspended. Uh, no word on if they're going to continue production. Uh, Alec Baldwin says he doesn't think they will. But I mean, it's that it's it's a tricky situation. I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think, first of all, will they continue production and should they continue production? If that was if it was your call, like, I mean, like, you know, it's obviously people are going into this movie knowing what happened, especially in today's day and age with social media. It's really tricky. You know, like, how are people going to see this? Is this going to do well? What's your take on that? 
Well, I think it's a, it's a tough situation, right? Because it's not something that happens every day. Um, I think personally, if I was involved in a production and that happened, um, I don't think I could go back to that. No, no. Because I think it would just be, that would be traumatic to me that that happened and I was there and it was my show or whatever. And it would be hard to go back and, and uh, try to do that. But the problem with Hollywood is that everything is a money-making venture. Um, so I think, you know, that would come down to how, and I don't know the details, but that would come down to probably how far along were they in the movie? You know, was it almost finished? Had they just started? Uh, how much money did they have tied up in it? Investors, things like that. From what I hear, it was a very, very uh, low budget. Like, it, uh, yeah. and I guess the shoot wasn't going to last that long from what I hear anyway, but still money's money, you know? So, you know, if it was a blockbuster movie that there was a lot of studio money tied up and stuff like that, you'd probably be more likely to see them forge ahead and say, well, we have to, we have to do this. And, you know, there might be the other attitude, you know, um, you know, if this person was invested in this film, then should we honor their memory by doing it in, in, in their honor and finishing it? Um, you know, there's different, I suppose there's different ways to look at it, but um, I think based on the controversy surrounding that and the way that accident occurred, um, I think it's going to be kind of, the, the process, the investigation, I think everything else is so prolonged that I think by the time it's all kind of settled and done with, they may just not want to move on with it. Um, and I, I think, you know, I can understand that. But at the same time, if they said, yeah, we're going to forge ahead, I would understand that too, because I get that Hollywood is a, is a, a business, it's an industry. And although people make movies for the joy of making movies, they're also making movies because they've been hired to do it. There's a production company, a studio, somebody who's you know, going to make money if they make money or lose money if they don't. So, um, you know, there, there are always those kinds of considerations. Um, but it's a tragedy. I mean, it's, it's, you know, oh, absolutely like that happening. And uh, um, on how set. that happens, you know what I mean? Like the fact that a live round ended up being, I, I mean, like, you know, then again, I guess um, people will use live rounds for certain scenes and stuff like that. But in today's day and age where somebody can very easily just in post effects, throw in a muzzle flash and a gunshot. You know what I mean? We're in that day and age where that can, you know, well, like it, are, it's unnecessarily I, dangerous, you know? I mean, using blanks in film has gone back to the earliest days of silent movies. I mean, oh, absolutely. A way of doing things. And it's a, it's a natural way. And it's obviously a cheaper way because it's more expensive to, to superimpose special effects and things like that. So certainly that's an easier way to do it. And why wouldn't you when it works? And it's more natural for the actors as well, because they can feel that gun. They pull that trigger that feels like the gun has fired, you know, so they get those, they can play off those reactions. And, and, and certainly in the world that we live in, the problem is, yes, there are safety protocols in place uh, legally. Nobody wants to get sued or anything like that. So you want things to be safe. Um, there's all kinds of training. Um, those kinds of props are not just laying around for anybody and their dog to pick up and play with. I mean, there are property masters, there's sign out procedures, there's inspections that have to be done. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole list of things that would have to happen on that morning before that gun even got into Alec Baldwin's hand. Yeah, absolutely. Inspected, you know, were that that gun was safe. And when he got that gun in his hand, 
in his mind, that gun's safe because it's the job of every all these other people to make sure it is. It's not the actor's job to make sure the gun's safe because actors don't know any. They're not property masters. They don't know about fake guns. And no, exactly. And that drives me mad hearing people say, oh, Alec Baldwin should have checked it. It's like, well, how would he's, you know, he, he know? wasn't supposed to know. That's not his job to begin with. Not and how would he know? I mean, you know, you're the expert. You know, if you're the doctor, I don't question, you know, that you're using the right instrument in the operation. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So Alec Baldwin has handed that gun. The property master says the gun's been properly checked. It's safe. And away he goes and he does his scene. And I mean, you know, it's not like he was like had the gun pointed right up at the guy's head when he fired it either. So or the woman, it was a woman, was it not? A uh, woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it is tragic, but you know, the other side of it is like, I don't know what was happening in that movie set. I've heard some rumors that maybe some people weren't doing their jobs properly. I don't know. So, I mean, you know, that's unfortunate if it does come down to a case of the people that are hired and entrusted to do their job did not do their job appropriately it's then it, it's their fault if you want to assign blame it's not alec baldwin's fault that no exactly that's the worst of it like uh, was killed it was the fault of the people that handle that gun because at the end of the day how do live rounds and blanks end up in the same place that's exactly that's they're that's the question a movie set they're not kept anywhere near each other no right? that's it so, yeah. and there's multiple people that make sure that happens like the person who puts that blank in the gun and checks that gun is not the same person that actually looks after the room that all that stuff is kept in exactly no exactly right there's multiple hands that that goes through on purpose to make sure that it's safe so but you know what the other side of it is even a, a gun with a blank and it is still is still dangerous it, it, it still can kill now that gun had live round in it so obviously it becomes an actual weapon but um even with blanks actor actors are still told and trained to be careful with those yeah kinds of they're told that like you know they would have been shown how to fire and operate and hold and the gun and because they have to be careful because you know an actor can't take a blank gun and put it up to his head and, and play like it's a it's a water hey gun. guys look what i got boom you know that, like that's that wadding in that blank has enough force that if you put that up your 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 temple and fire it even though it's a blank there's still a wadding that comes out of that uh that could kill you no exactly and um i mean of course i mean the uh, the worst i i um i listened to or i watched uh, the interview alec baldwin did with the George Stromanopoulos, he basically came out and, and talked about, you know, the whole situation and he broke down many times. It, it was just heartbreaking to watch that. I mean, like knowing that the guy just thought he was doing his job and he ended up murdering someone by accident, by complete accident. She's gone. He's still, you, you know what I mean? Like that's the worst of it. You know, we can just, we can explain it and we can make it logical, but from Alan, Alec Baldwin's perspective, even though it wasn't his fault, it was kind of pulled the trigger on that gun. And that person died as a result of that. It's not his fault. No, exactly. It was just, you know, action, aim your gun there and fire. He did what he was supposed to do. That was the consequence. You, you can't predict that, right? No, no, exactly. He's supposed to fully trust, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, the prop supervisor who is, or, or, and the assistant director, that that's on them to make sure that it's completely safe. And I'm told that, that whenever an actor is handed like a prop gun on set, they have to treat it as though it is, uh, that it is real and it is fully loaded and everything. Yeah. And, uh, it's just a, 
it, it's really a tragedy, this whole thing. But um, in my opinion, yeah. Human nature to feel guilty in that situation. Oh, you absolutely. Anybody else in that same situation, even though they're telling you, hey, it's not your fault. It's the result of somebody else not doing their job. You're still going to say, yeah, but I pulled the trigger. And I know I didn't aim at them to do that. But still, that's what happened. You're going to feel responsible. You're going to you're going to carry that guilt with you um, for the rest of your life. So I, I, I have great sympathy for Alec Baldwin. Oh, uh, absolutely. Because I'm sure it's it's traumatic. I mean, some people that kind of trauma that would, frankly, mentally, they would never be able to come to grips with that. No, exactly. And I mean, I remember watching that interview. I'm like, I'm like putting myself in his, uh, his shoes. I'm like, if that was me, I honestly don't know how I'd be able to live with myself afterwards. Like I, I'd crawl, I'd go into a dark room and I would just, you know, like, it's just, and you can't go back. You know what I mean? Like, that's the worst of it. It happened. She's gone. You're still here. Wasn't your fault, but in your head it was you know what i mean so there's you know it's just i feel so bad for him especially watching that interview but in my opinion if 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 um uh i would say no they shouldn't continue it with just just with today's social media and like you know everybody knows everything about it now like you know what i mean i mean like yes sure there is a lot of money tied up into it and i mean like you know even though it was very very low budget Money's money, of course, but I mean, at the end of the day, no one's going to be able to look at this movie and just see just a Western movie. They're going to go into it and know what happened. And like, you know, like it's, and like you said, it is tricky because there is a lot of money tied up into it. But I mean, like, yeah. I just can't picture it with today's uh, social media and how, and how, how the world is now. I just can't picture a movie like that going over very well you know what i mean like it is a tough situation yeah and i think that's more the reason why it probably wouldn't go ahead i mean in in the old days frankly i mean you know she wasn't on screen right yes that's right so i mean you know you could replace her and move on even with actors you could recast and move on but given the the world we live in now and the social media tension um the bad publicity i guess if you want to say um probably makes it less likely uh, yeah exactly I saw a couple people, Alec Baldwin, you know, again, with what he's probably dealing with in because of the nature of the accent, he couldn't I go back. Picture, he, I can't picture him wanting to go back into that. So no, my God, no. Like I, I mean, I, I mean like, you know, he even said, he said, I doubt we're going back to it, yeah. but who knows that could be him saying, yeah, they want to, but I'm not going back for sure. But I, I see some people comparing it to the Paul Walker situation with the uh, fast and furious. They were about 80% of the way filming through his last fast and furious movie. And then he died. I see people compare to that. I'm like, well, no, that's different because he didn't die on the set. That car accident that killed Paul Walker, that was, that had nothing to do with the fast and furious movie. You know what I mean? This is something where they were rehearsing a scene for the movie, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's not really a good comparison. You can't really compare it. You know what I mean? But um, so if you had to give just an answer, I mean, like, you know, should they continue it or will they continue it? What's your final answer? Like, what, uh, like, like uh, uh, yes, they should, but I don't think they will. Like, what do you think? Well, I, I, again, it's, it's not my choice and it doesn't, I wouldn't be offended either way. I would, like I say, I would understand. I understand that there are different viewpoints. There's obviously personal um emotional issues uh aftermath of that but then there's the financial side of it which i understand um there's the you know the fact that you know all these people need work right and if you shut yeah, up like, especially in the pandemic you know like work and stuff so you know um 
what do you do? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Like you say, I don't know if it's any tougher and easier if it was a different situation, because like you say, it's, it's, if, if it's an actor who's in the movie, who's on screen, then, you know, what do you do there? And like you say with Paul Walker, um, you know, they, they dealt with that in, in, in a way, which yeah. other films might decide, okay, we're going to do something different. You know, um, I remember uh, the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Gladiator? No, I don't think I have, no. He played the Gladiator in ancient Rome, but um, um, they were almost done the film. And um, there's a British actor, um, Oliver Reed, who played the slave owner in it, and he died uh, during the production. Um, they shot one day, and that evening he, he died. It may Nothing set-related, uh, eh? Like it, it, was... more, it had more to do with a lot of drinking and a bar, and a bar room brawl. As oh, yeah, brawl. that might have a little, yeah. Anyway, but anyway, he had a heart attack or something, and then, of course, they still had a scene to shoot with him. So what do they do? So they end up using like unused takes and some computer animation and shooting from a, a stand in from behind and things like that to finish that last scene. So, but in that case, I mean, the movie was almost done and he had almost, he had finished most of his role. No. So it's like, you kind of have to, you know what I mean? Can't just you know, shut you, it down then. Trying to do it then because, you know, do you recast when they've done all that? So again, every film, I guess that just shows that every film's different um just like it, it would be no different if it was a play if something happened um to an actor in your show or a behind, someone working you know your tech people or your costume people or whatever something happened to somebody you know what do you do it's a, it's it's a it's a tough choice and i don't want to get into it but you and i were both in a show where um there was a death and yeah we had to make that decision as a group as to whether we proceeded or not and we decided not to so i mean and that was that was tough so i mean Every show, every production, everything's different. So, no, definitely. I mean, like the people involved. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna say no, they shouldn't, and no, I don't think they will, because I personally just can't see Alec Baldwin wanting to go back. You know what I mean? Like that's just too, you know, like I mean, whether they just like okay, well, he's not in it, so we're just gonna recast him. I mean, like that's that's a Hollywood way, I guess. You know what I mean? Like it's it might sound distasteful, but they're like, hey, we got to get this movie done. But um, that's just my opinion anyway. And I mean, like, you know, like I said, there's many different angles to this. Like, you know, someone could say, no, they should to honor her. Or I mean, like, you know, it's 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 really tricky. But uh, we'll leave it up to you guys in, you know, let us know on uh, Instagram or Facebook. Uh, what do you think? If, if, if this was you in that position and you had to decide, oh, OK, we're already midway through shooting this very, very low budget film. Do we continue? Do we just call, uh, you know, call it a day there's definitely there will definitely be many different uh uh sides to this but definitely be sure to let us know your thoughts on this um so yeah that'll do it for the show today um so uh chris any final words you'd like to say before we uh sign off so when will i be getting paid for this um so yeah that's a good show no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> moving on <laughs> no i just uh, appreciate uh, you uh, asking me to appear on your uh, fledgling season of your uh, your new <laughs> podcast and hopefully you'll have many more and uh, i hope i didn't ramble too much that i made some sense and uh, uh, hope uh, all you people out there listening enjoyed and hope that you'll continue to support uh, frankie and his uh, podcast and his other endeavors as well uh, moving forward because he's working on lots of different things 
And uh, oh, I'll give a shout out to my two sons if I, if I can here. So, oh, absolutely, yes. So Case Herschel and Tristan um, are watching. They're my two greatest productions. So if if they're watching, <laughs> uh, hey, look at me. I'm on uh, this. I guess this is I'm famous now. Is that what this is now that I'm on the Frank? Yes, it's true. I'm gonna call uh, CBC, and this is and, and and I'll try and get this on CBC. A uh, Gib, can we make that happen? So I was was nobody up to this point. <laughs> a gift said i'm on it <laughs> so i i was just one of the masses out there you know um toiling in in obscurity in in, in the world and now I, i've reached the big time here on the, the corkin entertainment show <laughs> this might go something somewhere maybe i'll call uh 95.9 we'll try and get something worked out there so uh so there so thank you very much everyone for tuning in this week uh, i'd like to thank my guest chris matheson uh a gib uh my techie a gib feel free for the for those of you watching the video version if you want to pop up on there i think he's just a ghost yeah yeah frankie thanks for having me on okay yeah no trouble buddy uh so yeah so definitely uh stay tuned for next week guys uh we uh all of our social media links will be at the end of this video and uh stay tuned for next tuesday for next week's episode and uh yep have a safe day stay safe wear a mask do all that stuff uh so yeah thanks chris thanks very much